Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that we saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God has given us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from me, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country, and came to the valley of Eshcol, and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land, and brought it down to us, and brought us word again, and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into this hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anahim there, Anakim there, then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt, before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night, and in the cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. <clears throat> and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he is trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who said, who said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go to, in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of and every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up and fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in the hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice 
but give me ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. Glory to God. Thank you for that reading, Carl. What a reading to say thanks be to God afterwards. Here's all the ways in which you have failed and not listened and turned away. But thanks be to God. Which is basically the point of today's sermon in some ways, too, is that, is that to hear and to hold out these things before us and to say thanks be to God is in some sense a gift for us to remind ourselves of how to be and how to go in the world. An old Christian document that didn't make the New Testament called the Didache. Uh, I think I pronounced that right. But there, there are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there's a great difference between the two ways. The way of life is this. First of all, you should love the Lord your, the Lord who made you. Second, your neighbor as yourself. In all things you would not want to do to you, do not do to another person. This is, uh, what I wanted to pull out from this is that there are two ways, one to life and one to death. This is what the early Christians took to mean, and it's what that comes to us in the book of Deuteronomy, too, that there are blessings and there are curses. I set before you life and death. Choose life. That we live in this world that, that often sort of treasures this world that's sort of gray and that there are margins on these things and this, that, and the other. And occasionally, Scripture joins us there, but oftentimes Scripture says that there's a path that goes to life, and that there's a path that goes to death. It's often one of the things that shocks people the most about John's gospel, is there's this darkness between light and darkness. Are we in the light? Are we in the darkness? And it's hard because when we ask ourselves that, we go, what is it, a scale from 1 to 10? Um, uh, where is, is there a dimmer switch? Um, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm at 10, sometimes I feel like I'm at 1. Um, this is the honesty of the human condition, and yet Scripture holds these things out as two stark choices, two stark realities for us choosing to where we will inhabit and where we will go and how we will live. <clears throat> the either-or of this is very strong throughout Deuteronomy. Either you will do one, or you will do the other. And by doing one or the other, you set yourself in a certain way. And so this is our uh, fifth summer of going through an individual book of the Torah. Um, going backwards, you know, we did Numbers, we did uh, Leviticus, we did Exodus, and we did Genesis. Um, uh, and we've been walking through each of these books of summer, and this is sort of our last one. What Carlo read for us was a, was a scene very vividly told in the book of Numbers, told again in the book of Deuteronomy. And what uh, Kara read for us during the worship set was this sort of new thing that on the plains, at the boundary of inheriting the promise, here's what you would do to continue in life. Here's what you would do to continue in this way. One of the things I want to sort of hold out in the beginning, there's sermon takes very many sermons take very many forms. There are sermons that, that seek to exhort you, to teach you, to um, give information to you, um, uh, to lift you up. And then this one, I think, following the book of Deuteronomy, has a little bit about the, the tending and caring of the soul. Now there's a 
when the Titanic sank, I don't remember how many people died, but the cover of the New York Times was uh, this many souls lost at sea. It's not language we use much anymore, the language of souls. It's lives that matter. The soul seems to touch something else, that there, there's this soul to us. And when we talk about soul care, we talk about uh, soul music, <laughs> when we talk about um, the soul, we're talking about something on a different level than just life. One of the things that, that I want to propose, we did some of this with Book of Numbers, sometimes um, these books, um, scripture, is, is meant to be therapy for our souls. It's meant to, to be this way of tending our souls. And so one of the things that I wanted to pull out this morning is um, there's this thing called um, uh, the Future Offering Program, which is online, but then there's various versions of it. Donald Miller has his own, too. If you remember Donald Miller from Blue Light Jazz fame, him does. Um, uh, I have a copy if you want it. You can borrow it, read it. You don't have to bring it back either. Um, uh, it's not a bad book. It's just was was everywhere for a time. Um, but uh, they, they have this way. And what they ask you to do is to write out the future you want for your life. So you think about that for yourself. What is the future you'd like to have for your life? Now, Dom this morning said, can I use your garage to remodel a car? Um, I said, do you know how much stuff comes with two kids, soon to be three, in a garage? Um, uh, but, but John has a future in mind. Uh, last night, we were at Kara's graduation. Um, there's a, what if you want your life to look like? Israel at this place at this boundary. What would it look like to move into the promised land? After having been in death and darkness, what would it look like to go there? So what do you want your life to look like? The second step is write about what if you surrendered your life to all your vices. What would your life look like? So if you gave into your life, and, and, and everybody individually has to answer this question, but what if you gave into your life on alcohol? What if you gave into your life on deceit? What if you gave into your life on gambling, pornography, uh, drugs? What if you gave into your life on deception, on theft, on these sort of things? What if you chose to be the basest version of yourself? Write that out and what that future would look like. This is that first section, or what Carla read to us that proceeds four in the book of Deuteronomy. Is, is there's this way of this memory is meant to say, if you do it your way, this is how it turned out. And so you spent 40 years in the wilderness, wandering in death. Everybody died along that road. Why is Moses bringing this up? It's almost to say, for Israel, and, and, and with numbers, we tried to talk about Israel as, as, as one people, uh, one person. Uh, to think of it as one person, one soul, to say that this is you if you give into everything. If you follow your worst impulses. You get what you want. You don't get the land. You don't move into the promised land. And what you get, and you say to yourself, well, I'm doing it for my kids, which is what the Israelites say. Um, and in fact, their kids will inherit the land because they could not go forward. The next thing that we read is from chapter 4. 
and it has in some sense this promise. And the next step in this sort of, whether you do it with Donald Miller or the Future Reckoning Program or Terry uh, Lewinhoff lunch, it's kind of a psychological thing, is to write out what would your life be like if you followed your best impulses and kept those things in check? How would you achieve your goals and how would you go down that path? And so you know what type of uh, hell you could make. And in some sense, while you may not achieve it perfectly, you have some sort of sense of, of the heaven that you could reach as well. And so what do I set before you today? Death or life? But choose life. What Moses does in starting with one of the worst stories from their history so far as a people, it's not slavery, but their own rebellion as he sets before them this sense of in which life and death, and the bulk of the book will be taking up these practices of that will lead to life. But it's important to have before you where you turn to death. The uh, quote on the back of the bulletin today um, is, uh, life, can be only, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. This is sort of, sort of Kierkegaard, and, and in some sense what he's telling you is that you can only understand who you are by where you've been. What are your practices? What have you known? And yet it must be lived forward. So for the people of Israel, where have we been? What have we known? How did we get to this place? Is meant to compel them to live their life forward to bring them forward into a new life, to bring them forward into this promise. And so we too understand ourselves backwards so that we can live forwards. This uh, line graph, which I love from the Book of Numbers, and I think about often, so I keep coming back to it. Some of you might be sick of it, but I think it is helpful, um, which is that there is this line in time, the top line of this Exodus generation, in which these people have been brought out of slavery and into the wilderness. And they are supposed to go towards the promised land. But what happens is there is a break in time. There is a break in that line because of what happened and what Carla read for us. They refused to go up to the land. And what it says is that there is a new line, the bottom line, which is the promised, time, uh, promised land generation. Both of these are, are, are timelines. They go on, they go forward. Um, and then in this box is this time in the wilderness. Now, I think the New Testament, and we talked about this when we went through the book of Ephesians, uses a similar way of understanding the ages of history. There is the age of Adam, of the old self, the age of uh, dominated by death since the fall, which would be the Exodus generation. And then there is the bottom age, which is the new age ushered in by Christ, the time of the kingdom in which we go on to flourish and have eternal life. And what we live in as Christians is in that box time. We are the one entity, the person, the soul that has existed on the first timeline. We too were bound to death. And we, in our baptisms, are transferred to the second timeline. We're transferred to this time of this new kingdom, of this new age. And so when that happens, everything goes perfect for us as long as we pray and read our Bibles. That's not true. We still exist in the box like they do this wilderness time. 
where there are things that pull us backwards. So this is there is a world that is still in dysfunction, is the first truth. And the second truth is within our own lives and souls, there are things that pull us backwards to the other time, and there are things in our in our prayers and in our petitions and our <coughs> seeking common life together that pull us forward into the new kingdom. And so where does ethics come from? This is one of the bigger challenges. It's not from the old timeline, but from the new timeline. How should I act? How should I be? And so this I like because it, it, what is happening in the book of Deuteronomy is that we're at the edge of this promised land. We're at the edge of going into this place. And what Moses is telling us is what it will be like for us to go into that place and live and choose life. The, we'll get into this more later, but the book of Deuteronomy ends with them not doing that. And the Torah ends with that not happening which I think is an amazing statement about the function of the Torah and life and promise, is that you, it ends with us at the edge. It ends with us at that place. I've set before you death and life. Now choose life. Interestingly enough, this is, uh, we talked about it last week, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he gets up and talks about kingdom ethics, and makes that, um, and he goes off on a mountain like Moses, and he too expounds the law like Moses, and he too teaches us, is that he um, sets before us this new kingdom, this new thing that we can join in, and yet it too is not realized until the time of death and destruction ends, which is where that top timeline ends, and the new time, the fullness of time, which we, which we reside with God, goes on, and that is, is the story. Um, it works for much of the Bible, um, and I think it's helpful to keep in mind. But one of the things we want to do today is both look at um, the struggle uh, for these people and, and what it means to go forward. So they were uh, taken, sorry, I'm going forward quite a bit, but um, then in chapter one, where uh, Carla read for us, they are taken to the land and they're said to go and take it. They've come through the wilderness, they've been through slavery, and now this first generation is brought to the land. And it's theirs to take. And what they decide to do, the details are a little bit different in Deuteronomy and Numbers, is to send 12 spies out to go and look at the land and then come back. And they, they come back with some fruit of the land, and it's the fruit of the land that the Lord is giving us, is what they say. So they come and see that the promise has been given. Not only in this instance, but in chapter 1, uh, in the same moment, they're given the land, they're given assurance, and they're given a report of the goodness of the land. What they've been challenged to do has come to pass. But what happens is, and, and Moses lays this out very clearly, the bold's not showing up well, but I'll read it. Uh, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the commands of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. They brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Given the land, given the insurance, given a sign that it's going to be good. Having been ushered out of slavery by this God, what happens is the people are unwilling to go back. They rebel against God. 
and they grumble, the Lord hates them. Now, if you remember back to when we went through this in, in Numbers, one of the things I confess to not having to think about it, this is, this is the danger of preaching about the Spirit, and I've been thinking about it ever since, is I went through a period in my life where I would tell people um, that I don't have it within me to denounce God, but I do have it within me to think that God doesn't like me. Um, and as I spoke that in relationship to this scene, I thought about how that is perhaps more dangerous than the other. You put yourself in a very, very dangerous spot, I think, with our God when you say, he might be good and true, but he hates me. He dislikes me. He brought me out of slavery to die by somebody else's hands. That's the deep challenge of this passage. And I think it's that as we talk about soul work with this passage, is we too are brought out of the slavery of sin and death. If you thought about that first sheet in your head or the second sheet, about writing about what would your life be without all these things unchecked if you were able to live by your worst impulses all the time. It's sometimes when we leave those things, we begin to think it's God that hates us. So I was watching an interview um, this week by a comedian who um, gave up alcohol. And one of the things he was so fearful of was that he would lose his friends that he wouldn't know what to do at night, that he wouldn't have, uh, he wouldn't be funny anymore. God, you brought me out of my sin of alcoholism, but now I have no friends, I have no comedy, and I've lost one of the few things that brings me comfort. God has brought me out of that because God hates me. But you can see that's true for us. When we leave behind these things that have given us comfort and quiet. There's a, there's a line from the book of Isaiah that we often use when we talk about sin here that I can't get out of my head. It's just an image that stuck with me. It's that you, you cut down the tree, and, the, and you, when you sin, you cut down the tree, and with half the tree, you make a fire uh, to keep yourself warm for the night. It's the comfort of, of whatever the sin is. And, uh, there's a joke that sin, if you're doing it right, is like this fire at night. It does give you some comfort, even temporarily. Um, I'm not sure all sin does that. Some sin never does that. But there are sins that give you some comfort for the moment. But only last the night. But what it says is what you do with the other half of the tree is the real problem. It's not the fire that gives you the night. The other half of the tree becomes an idol. We, too, <coughs> when we are rescued and brought out of slavery and sin and death. We lose the fire that comforts us for the night, but we also lose the idol that we have for it. And so, with Israel being slavery, it, it's a very regimented life. It's a very, you know what you do, and you know what you get beat for, and you know how the world is ordered. Um, it's not good, but you understand that place. In our sin, it may not be good, but we understand the rules. We know our slave master well. And when we lose that, we begin to say, what is going to orient me in the world now? And we pick on the people in this book, but I think 
like, well, that's weird. I mean, you were a slave, and now you're terrified of the unknown. Um, just think about your life for a minute. Um, it's, it's a story that it should ring true for us so well. I've left behind the thing that was bent on destroying me, but it at least gave me a structure to live my life. And the new freedom is terrifying. The people don't want to go up to the land. The Lord hates us. He's brought us out here to destroy us. In the battle of leaving sin in your life, in the battle of going forward into God's goodness, that will be true for you. And the sin of not thinking that God thinks it's good for you can lead you to thinking that slavery isn't so bad. And so they move forward and they don't have any trust. They don't move forward knowing God. And they and they sort of, and, and this is where that line we used last week, that, that Israel has been carried by God as if a flock, and they still resist. Now, I don't want to spend, I want to get to the other half of the story. Um, but Yahweh's furious with them. And here's what happens, which is the interesting part, is then they go, okay, well, we're now we're ready. We're going to go up to the land. We're going to secure our own future. Um, this is a, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to finally give up the thing. I'm ready to leave my slavery. I'm ready to do this thing. But I'm going to go do it by myself. I mean, it's almost like if it works, right? If they go forward and it works, who secured the promise land? God? Yahweh? Or Israel? Israel. What good is this God? What good is this challenge? And Moses warns them, this is not a good idea for us. Um, the Lord is not with you. And they go and they get beat. And what did it say? They are like bees strumming backwards to the Red Sea. They're pushed back in their journey. And it's geography here, I think, is important because you're not just beat, you're, you're brought back to where you began. What happens is they'll journey for 40 years in the wilderness and die before they get to where. Uh, care wreck for us in chapter 4. What chapter 4 holds out for them is this call to obedience, this ethics, that they that they might follow these things, that they might have life on this free gift of the land that God is going to give them. That this is the good thing. Now, now there's one negative in the story about um, <coughs> there's a warning in here about the master of Peor, um, the Baal that lives there, um, B.A. A-L, and many translations might have master, um, but they, they go to this other god to secure their future at the end of the book of Numbers. We have the early rebellion and the late rebellion in the book of Numbers. Um, there are two sort of moments for that. And the ways in which we try to secure our future with something else. So what, what one of the things the book of Deuteronomy is going to be about after this and going forward is you have one god. You don't have the other god. You have a God who is very near to you, as it says, the God who's giving you laws and the way to order your life, and you are to live this way publicly before the Lord. And so the temptation, which is not just the temptation that we talked about with slavery and sin and death to go back to that, but to have our future secured by another. Because it is scary to have this God. They said it would be amazing among that we have a God who is so near to us. 
when we think about Jesus as 21st century North Americans, we have this way of even making him so near to us, he's like um, a kitten. Um, it's the best thing I could come up with in the moment. <laughs> or we project him as some distant thing that has nothing to do with us. So we either tame the God, we make nothing of God, and we sort of leave God in that place, or um, we we sort of distance, we, we take God or we leave God in the distance. And this is, this is um, I don't want to pick on anything. I'm trying to think. Um, you could think of your own uh, analogy for the contemporary Christian moment. Um, many of them take the form of devotional or popular Christian books that, that sort of placate God in this nice way near to us. And then um, many of the distant ways, and they're, they're, they're actually sort of mirrors the same thing. Uh, if you think of a, a ball, um, you go, most line graphs, I didn't think about this ahead of time. Um, but I think it's a truth, and I'll probably use it at other times. You think of a ball, you think of a line graph, right? Like you're here, right? Uh, like I don't know what the lines are. Um, pool and unpool, right? Um, but the further you go towards the pool, actually, the, the more likely you are to end up on the pool. And so it kind of wraps back around, like it's a, it's a matrix. The same with the top, is that you go far enough towards like um, rock star and loser, I guess. <laughs> I should have thought of this beforehand. Um, you, you start to wrap around to like, and you see this with people who are very famous with the two that I picked, because I didn't think of this ahead of time. But you get so far into rock star that it's like, no. Now you're wearing women's pants, and it's just not as cool as it was the step before that. Um, uh, the eyeshadow was a step too far. You were like right there, and then uh, you just, just it backwards. Um, uh, and so, it's like, why did I bring this up? Um, because the, the, the notion of God being dear to us in a way that does no harm to us, and the notion of God being so distant from us, it doesn't matter, are the same thing. They sort of wrap around on top of each other. Um, you think you're going so far one way and you're actually moving in the other direction as well. And, and the person who taught me this was a psychologist at seminary, and he said, if you think you're like in the middle, that's the hole in which somebody falls down and never gets out. Um, that, that there's, some of these have no safe places. Um, but for us, it's to find this way to sort of live with this God who is near to us. Now I gotta get back on track. Um, so Moses encourages them to hear the decrees and the laws I have to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go and take possession of this gift of the land that I've given to your ancestors. And so they're oriented towards life and this world of death, that they're brought into this place to sort of have obedience. I think we've made a Christianity sometimes that wants nothing from you. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is a good correction to that, um, but also so is the book of Deuteronomy, that that to live as the people of the land, or of the kingdom, as we would say in the New Testament, is to live with some sense of a life that has these demands upon it and will faithfully complete. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not the same as there is no yoke and there is no burden. And what is promised in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4 is that these things, observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great to have their gods near to them the way the Lord is near? Our God is near to us whenever we pray to him. 
And what other nation is so great so as to have such righteous decrees and laws as the body of laws I'm setting before you today? This is, in some sense, my yoke is easy and burden in life in the book of Deuteronomy. That is, being set towards life, there is this demand, but this demand is one that will cause other people to look at you, other nations to look at you, say, and say that this is a wise and understanding people. And it will be such that your God is near to you when you pray, which, while terrifying, is a good thing. And what other nation has such righteous decrees and laws? And so one of the things this, this means for the church, and the righteous decrees and laws, there's this concern for the poor and the least of these that take up much bulk of this book of Deuteronomy. These people are a just people who care and model their care well for the world. But then God who is near when they pray to them, this God who protects and hears them and draws near, and this God who sort of sets them on an alternative path for life. One of the things that, that I always want to talk about this is it's in guarding their interior life that they are this as a nation. And so many people think the church has no interior life. It only has an exterior life in which it goes and does justice for other people. When in fact what Israel is set up as, and the church as a transfigured or type of Israel or a new Israel, you pick the one you want, is it has its own life, its own interior way of being, that is meant to tell people that there's something different about them. We, as the church today, would rather get active and go out. And to be fair, there are churches in which you don't want to invite people to. It's much easier to go out. But what Paul's letters take up of much in the New Testament and the Sermon on the Mount too is this character of a community. Uh, and the author calls it the community of character that we are meant to model in our own life together. It's a call for Israel, and it's the call for us. We would rather get busy and go out. But to live and care for a way within our walls is perhaps the call. And so that we can stand before the world in a different way. There's one way, and this will be our final point, way too long today, sorry. Um, is this uh, a writer I follow who writes for the New York Times. Um, uh, she, she would be, if she were uh, a guy, a Bernie bro. Um, uh, but she said this past week that said, um, in a world, it seems that we live in an unsustainable moment in which we require constant atonement, but actively disdain the very idea of forgiveness. So we can think about cancel culture, and we can think about the ways in which we turn against people. We can think about if you've made one mistake on social media once, you made one mistake in your life, is that we live in a world that is asking for people to make constant atonement for what they've done wrong. And to be clear, some of what people are going through, they've done wrong. But in a world that constantly asks for people to make amends and to apologize and, and to be vigilant about this, but to disdain forgiveness is an unsustainable place to be. But one of the things the church, as I was thinking about all the sermons in the application might ever do, but they brag, um, <laughs> is, is, that, is that what would it mean for us to be a witness of forgiveness into the world? 
We want to go and be active. We want to go and do these things. We want to, to join um, the care around the virus. We want to go and join the marches. We want to do this. But perhaps there's a unique spot left for the church to be in a place that forgives. When everybody's turned against you. When you're getting beat up and shamed and manipulated for whatever mistake you might have made, and these aren't just small mistakes. Perhaps there's one place that can be, bring you into the forgiveness of God. The one who said, who said, well, go up to the land and you refuse. Provides a spot for you and I to go and take that land. And so we have before us death and life. The call for us as we journey through Deuteronomy is to choose life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know the ways in which we turn astray. We know the ways in which you have brought us out of slavery to sin and death. And yet we want to go back both times. We would like to turn to another place. And yet you, God, bring us through the wilderness and set us at the boundary of the land of the kingdom of grace. For Moses and Jesus, they go up and they expound to us the law again so that we may have life as we enter this place. Allow us to hear your, your healing words of life. Allow that to be the means by which we choose life. Live as a community of forgiveness, Amen. Mm -hmm.